Ten months ago, the crew of Voyager was pulled into the Delta Quadrant by an entity known as the Caretaker. Not enough time! When he died, Voyager's best chance of getting home died with him. But he revealed one hopeful possibility. There is another like me. She left hundreds of years ago, but she's out there somewhere. Welcome back to Delta Flyer. I'm Thad Haight. And I'm Stuart Hollis. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 10, Cold Fire. Yes, and we are joined this week by special guest Jen Tift. Hi. Good to be here. Long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> <laughs> nice. To be here with you guys. It, it, it's good, good to, have, to you. have you here, yeah. Thank you. So, this episode originally aired on the 13th of November, 1995, and was directed by... It was directed by Cliff Bull, who is a veteran Star Trek director. Uh, this is the first of ten Voyager episodes he will direct. Uh, he also directed seven DS9 episodes and 25 TNG episodes, uh, most notably Best of Both Worlds Parts 1 and 2. An interesting trivia thing for Cliff Bull, the species Bolians are named for him. Is he related to Uve? I don't think. I, I, I honestly don't know. Maybe. Okay. Who wrote it? Ah, so, very interesting story about that. Uh, the story idea uh, was by Anthony Williams, who was an assistant advertising manager at Paramount. He has two other writing credits, uh, uh, ever. Like, not just not Star Trek, but I mean ever. The other one is another episode from Season 2, which we'll get to later, called Innocence. And the third is a softcore porn from the 80s entitled <laughs> Young Lady Chatterley 2, starring Adam Wee. My name isn't Adam Wee. Oh, that's, that's interesting. It's interesting <laughs> that it's a sequel. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if Adam West was in the first one, too. <laughs> I, I didn't do that much digging. I'm not sure. <laughs> But I'm just reading. Yeah, the, the, wow. This has to. And th those are his only writing credits. That and two episodes <laughs> of Star Trek. <laughs> that's a. Yeah, that that's a thing. That's what that is. <laughs> and the fact that it stars Adam West just. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, that that really makes me want to find it and watch it. I you know, know, right? <laughs> just for the entertain pure entertainment value of that. Because I, I can't even picture that. Like I, I, <laughs> I'm assuming it's it's tongue in cheek if it's Adam West, you know. But big name actors have done things like that. I mean, Malcolm McDowell uh, was in uh, the Caligula. Thank you. That was the name that I was blanking on. Uh, so yeah, it was Malcolm McDowell, wasn't it? Yes, it Damn. was. So our synopsis from TV Guide. A clue to the whereabouts of the caretaker's mate leads Voyager to an array occupied by the Okampa, who try to develop Kess's telekinetic abilities. I mean, this wasn't really an array. This was a space station of some kind. They called it an array. The same way they called, you know, the other one an array. But <laughs> I wanted to call out the fact that they called it a space station of some kind. Which is, you know, like passive voice, some kind of. Some Oh, another some kind of. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, people were living there. Yeah. Too. So yeah, it's more of a s space station than an array. But Memory Alpha says while attempting to make contact with the caretaker's mate, 
who may have the ability to send Voyager home, the crew discovers a colony of Okampa whose representative has an interesting Kess in helping her explore her telepathic powers. Hmm. I'd, based on those two descriptions, I think I'd rather watch the TV Guide episode. Hmm. Yes, uh, but Memory Alpha is more is probably more accurate. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is probably you know they're both meeting their cri- yeah. criteria. <laughs> and before we go much farther, because if I don't mention it now, I will probably forget it. Listeners, it, uh, if you're going to be at the Northeast Trek Con in Albany, New York, at the end of the month. I will be there, too, and I will have Delta Flyer pins to hand out. So feel free to find me, talk about to talk about Star Trek or really anything. I'm always excited to meet listeners, so come check me out. So right off the bat from those two synopses is something that was kind of bothering me. Mm-hmm. Why is it Ocampa instead of Ocampin? Yeah, and that happened in the episode, too, a couple times. I don't think they ever said Ocampin. No. I think they said Ocampin once, but yeah, it was okay. mostly Ocampa. Oh, did they? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just, that's what they decided to go with. Weirdos. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's not like they call them Bajora. No, but just because, the, I mean, it's not, you can't assume that everyone is going to use the same naming scheme for their things. That's not how it works on Earth. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, and I mean, I guess we would be Earthlings then. Earthens. Earth, yeah. <laughs> Terrans. Well, okay. I, Terrans is kind of after the planet, I guess. But hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I never thought of it. Well, no, I was saying Earthens, which is a that, yeah, you're right. Deep cut for our other podcast. Yeah, it's a Stargate joke oh. that gotcha. even among Stargate people, most people wouldn't get it. I got it. So anyway, this episode. Yes, this episode. So we open with a synopsis uh, narrated by Major Roddenberry herself. Yeah. I, I kind of wish they did that more often. Me too. That was nice to hear. Like, it's I, just a soothing. Like, I get that it was there. I get that it was to let us know about the caretaker specifically. Yeah. But I feel like that's the sort of thing that you could use to open Voyager just to, like, bring someone who had never seen Voyager up to speed with what's going on. You might get sick of that, though, after a while, if you're a regular. Hmm. Yes, but we live in the golden age of streaming, where they have the skip intro button. Right. That's true. Yeah, you could skip recap on Netflix, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, same yeah, thing. Which I like. But, I, yeah, I, I like that, just in general, when television shows do that, because I like to... Um, I like to know what they think I should remember. Yeah. You know, yeah. even if I remember, you know, even if I don't need the recap, I like, oh, the, the you know, people who wrote it think that these three scenes were important, <laughs> you know, for what we're going to watch. That's interesting. I like to do that on Game of Thrones. I like to, because uh, when they show the previously on Game of Thrones, because then based on yeah. what they show, you're like, ah, they're going to be showing us this. Yeah. This is what's coming up. You know, <laughs> a continuation on that. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. And then just after Majel's, well, her synopsis, we find out they've only been in the Delta Quadrant for 10 months so far. I had thought it was at least least a year. Well, it was eight months in non sequitur, so... Oh, okay. It's been two months Mm. since that, which sounds about right. So, yeah. Remember, the first season was short. That's true. So we open... uh, After that, we get Tuvok um, not quite mind-melding, but doing the... 
you know, hands on the face thing uh, to help Kess develop her. Yeah, to help Kess develop her uh, her telepathic abilities. Uh, and she starts tuning in to the whole crew and then zeroes in on Neelix getting a haircut. Not that we have any evidence later in the episode of her of him having a haircut. His ear hair didn't look to be excessively trimmed. No, he's trimming the ear hairs. I told him the ear hairs were the perfect length. No, he was very worried about that, so I think he did finally voice his concerns to the barber. Mm. <laughs> probably. I think it's probably something only Neelix would notice. <laughs> There's that, too. <laughs> I, I don't think I would focus on length of ear hair, you know, <laughs> if I was... In the room with him. I can't say that I've ever had someone cut my ear hair before, so, you know, couldn't really say. They do. Yeah, they. I mean, they, they'll they trim or wax any hairs you got <laughs> nowadays. I feel like you need to go to a more specialized uh, person for some of the th- hairs that you have, though. Like, the, your regular barber probably won't. Yeah, you'd have to go to, like, a, a salon or a spa or something. Right. And then they got a full menu of, you know, all the different ways you can remove unwanted hair. <laughs> I think it would have been interesting if during the episode he had been just kind of like touching his ears a lot. Yeah. That yeah, that would have been cool. Or like, or like if 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 Tuvok or Kess had had mentioned like your ear hairs are looking lovely tonight. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sadly there was no uh, B plot this episode of any kind, but especially not about Neelix's hairs. <laughs> yeah, there was no B plot this episode. Yeah, that's a... maybe that's a maybe that's a, a writing trademark of Anthony Williams, and <laughs> for all we know, Young Lady Chatterley Two doesn't have a B plot either. I guess. <laughs> I doubt that it even has a plot. Right. No, no, no. It's softcore porn. It has a plot. It's not going to be a good yeah. plot, but it's going to have a plot. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I think the reason this probably didn't have a B plot is because the whole crew is very excited about this possibility. So they're all kind of involved in Kess's story, you know? I was expecting Harry Kim to uh, to be, like, more jazzed. Because certainly in the first season, anytime anyone even, like, remotely mentioned, but maybe, possibly, there could kind of a way to theoretically get home this way and he was always like yes 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 let's do it let's do it right now let's do it right now yeah he didn't really do that this episode no and you know that's the stereotype about harry kim but i don't think he really does it that often it seems like he did (laughs) it does like he and he even calls it out in the final episode of the show when he has that speech about how you know the journey is everything and it's fair to say that no one has been more excited about getting home than he is, and blah blah. blah. Right. But I feel like it doesn't happen as often as people think it does. I think a lot of times too, everyone's kind of aware of how badly he wants to get home, and mm, I mean they do things uh, like like I mean remember when they they took they drew numbers um to do uh, to see which order they get their you know whatever it is ten minutes with Earth when they finally get you know. Um, communications with starfleet and everyone's like and harry draws like number 116 or so you know what i mean or some like really high number so he has to wait a couple weeks and and everyone's like offering to to switch their numbers oh, with harry that's true yeah you know like yeah like i think there's a lot of little things like that you know 
So it was more, I think the crew had that stereotype about Harry too, not just the audience. <laughs> All right. But in this episode, I thought there was a really nice part uh, when they, um, in the beginning, when um, Torres, you know, uses the the rock as a compass, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, Chicote and Janeway are in the bridge. There was a really nice moment where both Janeway and, T- and Chicote give really excited, happy smiles to each other. You know, because they're excited about the possibility. They think this is a good chance that they might go home. And and I don't think that's something we ever see again. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think I think after this, Janeway is just like, I'm not. And until I have my boot planted on, you know, San Francisco soil, I'm, you know, I'm not going to get my hopes up. Speaking yeah. of uh, Torres and the using the rock as a compass, that's when they have the sporo they have the sporocystian life form inside the uh, hexaprismatic field, <laughs> both of which are never mentioned again. <laughs> sporocystian did get mentioned in Caretaker, but it does not get mentioned again. So I think we can count it as a like an honorary one and done. But hexa uh, hexaprismatic definitely. A one and done. And I was thinking hypergogic mental state, but I looked it up and that's a real thing. I looked it up as well. I found hypno- hypnagogia, which apparently is related to like lucid dreaming and sort of like the like part of like the REM cycle, I guess. Um, and like all my searches for hypergogic or hypergogia led to that. Mm. So maybe it's not a thing, but like in the same way that sort of like hypothermia and um, hypnothermia are a thing, not hypnothermia. What's the other one? What's the opposite of hypothermia? Hyper and hypo. And hyper. Yeah. Yeah. So never mind. I was, you know, way off base. I was totally wrong. So no, maybe the jury's out. (laughs) Then I I want more uh, information about Tuvok sessions with, with Kess because they're getting some, to some weird stuff. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, if I Google hypergogic, the third thing is a page called Modern Mythology about the. No, it's not useful at all. Never mind. But anyway, there are <laughs> hypergogic is a word. It is available because uh, you can find multiple things that say you do see hypnagogic, but hypergogic is also used, and not just with although. To be fair, the first result is a transcript from Cold Fire, but it does also appear in other situations. Your search engine knows who you are. That's true, too, yeah. Yeah, if I Googled it without being logged in, it probably might not give me Voyager at the top. And they also mentioned uh, going to, uh, working on our precognitive abilities, which I thought that was interesting, because does that mean like precognition is like telling the future? To me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't remember that being a. Yeah, that's one of the things she said. She told the doctor she was working on with Tuvok, and I don't think that was ever. You know, I mean, we definitely had some time, uh, you know, issues with Kess in later episodes, but yeah, but even that wasn't really precognition. That was like a temp- uh, yeah. temporal thing. She right. she saw the future because she had literally been there. Yeah. Hmm. That's interesting. And yet, no little wooden balls rolling around. Wait, what? Minority Report. Jesus. I've actually never seen it. What? Oh. I'm sorry. It's worth seeing. It's not, like, my favorite, but it's worth seeing if you're 
looking for something <laughs> on a rainy day <laughs> to watch. Yeah, just take a minute. Jen and I will wait. Just <laughs> So it's interesting. By the way, yeah. this episode, no. the working title was Untitled Kess Firebug. Uh, no. Yeah. How about working title Kess equals Phoenix? Mm. Oh, I like that. The the authors maybe weren't uh, comic book fans. Un- Untitled Kess Firebug would be more appropriate for Fury. Yes, it would. <laughs> so at the same time that they're talking about the hexaprismatic field, mm-hmm. Tuvok uh, is saying, I guess it was slightly before this, but Tuvok was saying, perhaps we can produce a toxin to temporarily paralyze the sporocystian life forms. And the doctor's chiming in to say, yeah, no, we could totally do it. I took a look at the dead caretaker rock and I think we can do it. And something that was interesting though, was when Tubak is telling Jamie this on the bridge, she looks back at Chakotay, who is just like totally expressionless, like, like, well, like minor, like, sort of like, like micro expressions that make me think that it's like too, like Chakotay's not thoroughly on board with this plan. But Janeway looks back and is like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> I mean, it seems a prudent measure. It does. <laughs> I mean, even as obviously in retrospect, but without even without knowing, I mean, it, it's a very Vulcan security officer thing to think of, you know, because they had they saw the power of the original caretaker, you know, even if you and know. since Tuvok is Tuvok and not Worf, they'll actually take his advice. Dang. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> Where's the line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the Sporocystian caretaker compass starts going wild. They hone in on where they need to go. They warp there. They come across the array, which is a tenth the size, but still has 2,000 people on board. So now I'm wondering how the heck big was yeah. the original caretaker array? <laughs> enormous apparently well apparently 10 times larger but like (laughs) right how big is the case on ship then because when it crashed into it that was like you know they were like of a scale yeah so the star trek encyclopedia actually has a picture of ships to scale and the case on ship is i think the largest ship we ever see in star trek oh that's interesting i wouldn't have guessed that it's bigger than a cube now okay it may be the second largest it's bigger than the cigar thing that wanted all the whales? <laughs> yes. Uh, please stand by while I look something up real quick. It's bigger than V'ger? Well, that depends on whether or not you believe V'ger is really 2AU across. It's bigger than the big blue thing that tried to eat the Enterprise in TOS? I think it was blue. Oh, Isn't you mean the, the, the Doomsday Machine? Yeah. That was only slightly bigger than the Enterprise. Oh. I mean, it was bigger than the Enterprise, but it wasn't, like, enormous. No, no, no. I'm thinking of the Orville, which comes across that uh, that Dyson Sphere. Or, anyway. wait, no, don't. No, didn't the Enterprise encounter a Dyson Sphere? There was a Dyson Sphere. The Enterprise D, but that's not a ship. Yeah. <clears throat> it no, was moving. A Dyson wasn't Sphere it? is not a ship. It's you... not It's not a ship, no. Okay. Because it, it surrounds a planet. Or a star. Yeah. Or a star. Um, yes, I'm sorry. It's, it's it surrounds a star. Yes. Like yeah, it, it's one thing to encase a star in something. It would be quite another yeah. thing to then also give it propulsion. 
Maybe you could use the stars, you know, fusion, mm-hmm. you know, energy to. I guess. Anyway, I'll be right back. I'm going to grab my Star Trek encyclopedia. Please remain on the line as we value your call. Alright, so I can't actually find the graphic that I thought that that graphic may not be in the current version of the encyclopedia. I have a, I have a Ships of the Galaxy section, but they are not to scale. Uh, Boo. Ah, okay, here we go. Alright, Stuart, you are right. The planet killer from the Doomsday Machine is even bigger. Yay! But the Kazon... Ogla ship is quite huge. It is larger than a Romulan warbird, which is itself considerably larger than the Enterprise D. Yeah, I I, I believed the idea that the case on like the ship was was gigantic, but the you know the supposition that it was the largest thing in canon was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> and yeah, Borg cube dwarfs everything. Apparently, that makes sense. Have you seen? Uh, so are you familiar? I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's a there's a there's a Star Trek basically a Star Trek version of X-wing, uh, but I don't remember the name. A miniature Star Trek space battle game. Oh, okay. And all the ship models are to scale. And the cube is like the cube is the like size of the three, coffee table. It's like three <laughs> feet wide. Yeah. That's I know, right? That's awesome. <laughs> now, I could be slightly exaggerating. It may only be two feet wide. Uh, <laughs> But it's still freaking enormous, and I, I'm really, I feel really bad for not remembering. No, oh, uh, we saw some people playing it at Treklana. Yes, they didn't have a cube though. <laughs> they did not have a cube, and I'm trying to remember what the name of that game is. I feel like if they were smart, they would make the cube um, have like, like sides that pop off, so that you could use it as like a storage box for your other minis. Yeah, that would make sense. It's called Star Trek Attack Wing, I think. Cool. Well, speaking of attacking, the Array attacks Voyager. Yes, it does. It it looks like it might be a weapon. Oh, it's definitely a weapon. Yes. Uh, Yeah, so so Voyager tries hailing the Array. The Array does not answer. The Array powers weapons and fires. And then they hail because... (laughs) Reasons. And it's the guy from Robot Jocks. No one knows what Robot Jocks is. That's a that's a crime. It's it's Detective Matt Sykes to me. <laughs> that one I don't know either. So Oh no, Alienation. <laughs> oh, okay. You guys might be too young for that one. I'm like familiar with what it is. I mean, it's also for, you know, people who are familiar with Star Trek, it's Ambassador Soval from Enterprise. Yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> But he's been Detective Matt Sykes since the 80s for me. So so even when I see Soval, he's Detective Sykes. <laughs> but I love Soval. He's a great character. So Tannis comes over to Voyager along with a couple other Okampa. And they're all meeting in the, the briefing room. And we find out that Voyager apparently has a really bad reputation. It's known as a ship of death. Oh, African war zone, ship of death. Around the quadrant. I feel like they are getting some of this from, we we find out later, are getting some of this from Suspira, or Suspiria. Yeah, that's the impression I got as well. Because we, Oh, yeah, definitely. We, we don't get that, like, it's not like we see other people say, oh no, you're the ship of death. Yeah. 
So I don't think they're actually known as the ship of death throughout the quadrant. Yeah, there are pros and cons to having that sort of reputation. For the Federation, it'd be mostly con, though. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but how would she have known? How does she know what happened to the other caretaker? She's had conversations with the whole crew. Well, oh, oh, you mean Suspiria. Suspiria. Well, the news of the destruction of the Array probably did travel. Well, I'm sure that Suspiria and the caretaker had, like, a deep subspace connection to each other. Not deep enough for him to tell her he was dying. Right. But then, like, coupled with the uh, later news of, and then there was these, there were these new people, and they're on a ship called Voyager, and they were there, and they blew up the caretaker array, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that Suspiria yeah. drew her own conclusions. That was my thought as well. So they did have to hear it from someone besides Suspiria. Mm-hmm. Probably the K. I mean, the Kazon. It seems like is in everyone's business, and everyone knows the Kazon's business. So they, that's probably what they spread around. Interesting thing about Suspiria, and the, well, rather the concept of the other caretaker that was originally introduced in Caretaker, because he mentioned the other one that had gone away long ago. Uh, yeah. That was written into the show because the studio wasn't sure that the whole Lost in the Delta Quadrant thing was going to work. So, oh, so they wanted to leave themselves an out? Yes. Oh, I get out of jail free. And if it hadn't worked, they would have come across that and gone back to the Alpha Quadrant and would have been TNG 2. Oh my. So the fact that they didn't do that... Apparently they thought Voyager this... was working. Yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. I'm glad, I'm glad that they stuck with it. Yeah, I am too. Because yeah. we didn't need TNG 2. We already had TNG. Right. Plus, we're going to be getting TNG 2 next year, probably. Ish. Not really TNG 2, but <laughs> yeah. Yay. <laughs> so, Tannis uh, communicates telepathically to Cass that he wants to talk to her alone. She goes along. They head to the Airponics Bay, and he's like, this is great. You're growing all these plants here, but there's, like, no life on this ship. You're stuck on a ship. You're not, you know, like, fully experiencing life and seeing the galaxy. And she's like, you live on a space station, dude. How much of a galaxy are you seeing? I, would, I was just about to write that down <laughs> when she said it. <laughs> and I feel like he didn't make his argument very strongly because he could have he could have brought up the larger Okampa community on the space station and that's the sort of thing that she needs like Okampa need to stick together etc mm. yeah okay so I, I apologize for my hyperbole the board cube is only one foot wide but that is still considerably that's, larger than any of the other miniatures yeah. So I have a question about the airponics bag. It is. Airponics oh, I, I have lab. noted that it is clearly we are that we talked earlier whether it was airponics or hydroponics because they had used both mm-hmm. words. It's definitely airponics because those roots are just hanging out in the air there. Yeah. But here's my question. Mm-hmm. What's it for? I've wondered this as well. There's no way they're growing nearly enough food for more than just a garnish. Yeah, they were like nine artichokes growing in one of the sections and the rest was seemed like a lot of flowers which i mean neelix will tell anybody that he loves eating flowers but you can only get so much nourishment from flowers and if you have more than 150 people as Cass points out to us on this episode that aeroponics bay is yeah you're right like it's not doing anything yeah it was like that spread that neelix laid out for the crew in uh persistence of vision yeah well it gave it gives Cass something to do something to own that's true she takes pride in it 
I don't know. I, yeah, you know, on the Enterprise, on the on the Enterprise D, they they did a lot of experiments with the plants. You know, like a lot of genetic experiments and things like that. But I don't think there's a botanist that we ever saw on Voyager, <laughs> or you know, genetics department. I don't. So I don't know. That's a good point. Yeah, there's no Mark Watney. Yeah, there's no there there's no there's no Keiko. Right. Yeah, that's true. That it was always interesting to me. Definite aside here that Keiko was a civilian botanist on a Starfleet ship. Whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't we, we don't do asides on this show. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> never never. <laughs> like that always struck me as interesting because I th- think that's the only time we see a civilian scientist permanently on a star sh- on a Starfleet per- ship. Permanently, yeah. Cuz they definitely sometimes there'll be a guest star who's using the ship for insert experiment here. But Right. That's the only time we ever see a scientist who is not a member of Starfleet, but is just posted to that ship. Okay. Two possible counterpoints that you can tell me if I'm wrong about. Mm -hmm. First, the scientists on the Genesis planet, which is not a starship. It's not even a Starfleet. uh, Yeah. That wasn't even a Starfleet lab. Okay. Okay. Then here's my second one. Kirk's girlfriend in Voyage Home. They never said it was a Starfleet ship that she was assigned to. She just said science vessel. Yeah. Are there non-Starfleet science vessels? Yeah, not everybody in the Federation isn't part of Starfleet. It's space socialism. (laughs) It's space socialism. It's not space... um, Yeah, we see... Maybe... I don't... No, I, I do not believe that every single ship that's out there doing research is a Starfleet ship. That seems preposterous to me. I mean, maybe for security reasons. I, I, I'm crossing the franchises here. I'm crossing the streams here, but... There you go. On Sequest, <laughs> uh, half, half the crew was military and half the crew was civilian scientists. And you can kind of see how in that environment they would kind of need both. So... Well, that's I guess like you're a deep space. Yeah, that's like a that's like like Stargate too. We have a mix of military and civilian. Yeah, because if you're in deep space and you're all just like civilian botanists, and there's a hostile alien, you know, you're not gonna have much chance of <laughs> being able to negotiate your way out of that, you know, without any experience. Okay, so, like, we definitely encounter like research scientists on like research ships from other civilizations that are part of the federation so the idea that there would be humans out there doing stuff isn't weird to me it's possible jillian taylor is on a starfleet ship but we don't actually know all she says is science vessel is dr flox a member of starfleet there is no starfleet well, no, there was there, no there. He was on an exchange program, right? Between yeah, so that's like so kind of. <laughs> I'll take it. Yeah, that one's like. I, go ahead. Yeah, that and plus there we've got like. I don't think we can count things that happen in Enterprise as because in that case, Paul was a scientist who was not part of Starfleet, but. You're right. We definitely can't count it because it was all just Riker's, you know, hollow novel gone amuck. So, oh, that's true. Yeah, but in the 24th century, certainly, and that conveniently avoids uh, any possibility of Jillian Taylor. Well, Jillian Taylor is a special case anyway because you got to think she's 
a very valuable Starfleet resource just as a historical I still can't believe that they figure, want, you know, that the, they want to protect, you know? I still can't believe that when they they're not like, Why did you bring this person back? We have to send her back now. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> That's that's it makes me laugh so hard in trials that's, and tribulations. Well, that's yeah, that's definitely one of those violations. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it's not like time travel is a commodity in like in Starfleet at that time. So sending her back would not have been. Well, they super talk about how it, how easy it is because McCoy's like, oh sure, just slingshot around the sun. <laughs> so. This episode. Yes, yeah, they this episode. Just, it's easy to get back. Boom. Uh, we then get a little bit of um, intrigue with Tannis and Suspiria. Yes. Where, you know, Tannis is like, you know, I met this girl, Kess. She's great. She's going to be like a wonderful person to welcome into the fold. Suspiria's like, whatever. I don't care about her. I just want the ship. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to a dinner with everybody. Well, not everybody, like Tannis and our cast, where Tannis says, you know, you could just come live on the station. Uh, Kess isn't so sure about this. She turns to the people around her for advice. Janeway tells her that she doesn't have to make a decision right now, but you can definitely tell that Janeway's like, because you should definitely want your decision to be to stay on the ship. Well, I thought that I thought that w- this was interesting because he... He puts her on the spot, you know, a classic power play of asking her this in front of everybody, including the captain and her boyfriend, you know, and Janeway kind of gives her an out, you know, because you can tell Kess isn't really sure what to say. And Janeway's kind of like, you don't have to decide it now, you know, let's move on, you know, to try to like save her, I think, you know, as part of, I really enjoyed the Janeway and Kess relationship. And I think that's part of like the, her, her mother mother hen instincts kind of kicked in you know when the yeah. guy tried, you know <laughs> i thought that was a nice moment no i liked it a lot yeah yeah and neil neelix is just like neelix didn't say a word but he dropped his fork or whatever well no neelix neelix was supportive because he says he... i'll go anywhere you go yeah this whole episode neelix was really supportive about the entire thing proud of her about yeah. her abilities and we talked like, in um, whatever you decide. I'm going with you. We talked a few weeks ago how about how we were hoping that we would be able to like Neelix, and uh, it yeah. seems like it's actually coming to fruition. It's happening. It's all happening. Yeah. I, I the only weird thing with Neelix in this episode is is why is he there when uh, when Detective Sykes gives her that the fire lesson? Like why is he just hanging around during this lesson? That is, it seemed very. Uh, um, overbearing, you know, it's like go away. <laughs> but that's the only thing, and that's that's a nit pick. I, I think, but. yeah, I think he was there out of out of like feeling protective of Kess and worried that, yeah, it, it it's a and it's a it has a little tinge of creepy old jealous Neelix. But right, I think right, his right. intentions were not were at least he was intending it out of. A, a protective urge and not a, you know, jealous urge. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. But still, I mean, she's a grown, I was going to say she's a grown woman, but I guess she's not. It depends on how you <laughs> define grown woman for a compound. 
Oh man, I don't even want to get into that because it's. We, yeah, we've already talked about how that's a whole yeah, can yeah. of worms. <laughs> that uh... is a whole can of worms. <laughs> but theoretically, she doesn't need his protection, right? You know, this guy hasn't at this point done anything to, you know, <laughs> merit that. Or in which case, why wouldn't it be Tuvok there instead of Neelix? You know. Well, that was so that we could have the scene with Tuvok later. The oh, know, that's right. Which, That's right. when I first saw this episode as a nine-year-old kid, that scene gave me nightmares. Oh, I can imagine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, it's creepy looking in his eyes. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. What even scarier in this in this scene to me is Kess's blood-curdling scream. Yes, because it's. Because it's such a weird scream, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's just whatever pitch it is. I don't know. But it's it's it it's chilling. It is. And just the two things combined, you know, just it's a very creepy, scary scene. Very much so. Uh, Voyager definitely ups the ante with the with the horror type scenes. Yeah. Because I don't think we ever had anything that bad in TNG. Yeah, all my really really gory gross out moments that i can think of are most of them are voyager well we do we do have that episode of uh discovery now where you know an entire ship's crew was turned inside out oh yeah but that wasn't scary though because they were just like piles of goo (laughs) you know if we'd have seen them turn inside out that probably would have been that's what voyager would have (laughs) done if they had the technology (laughs) yeah so on the topic of the thinking about the scream thing, I had to wonder like maybe Jennifer Lean was a was it like a like a C like a C grade horror actress for a while or something because it definitely felt like a like a like a slasher flick the slasher flick like terrible like overwrought over the top scream to me. Yeah, it was not it was an odd scream. I don't actually know much about Jennifer Lean's acting career. I know that she is not an actress anymore. She does a really great job in this episode, I think. Oh, yeah. This continues yeah. our... Yeah, I think this episode continues the whole thing where we're seeing... Where we're enjoying Kess a lot more than we thought we would before we started watching this show this time. You know, I am too. Yeah, I, I, I actually just got... I'm almost finished with my Voyager rewatch that I'm doing. I'm, I'm on Endgame. <laughs> okay. I just need to find it. You know, a good two-hour block that I can sit down and watch it. But... um. But yeah, Kess has risen in my esteem this go around, and I'm wondering if if my if I was just clouded by memories of her and Neelix early on, you know. But yeah, she's a great character. And no, I'm not able to find any horror credentials in Jennifer Lean's acting background. She was on a show called Phenom, and then she was on Voyager, and then she was a voice actress in Men in Black the series. And that's mostly it. She did some other voice acting work on an episode of Johnny Quest. Uh, But, uh, yeah, she does not have a very large resume here. Phenom, Phenom. Was that about a tennis player? It was. Oh, my God, I remember that. That was Kess? What year was that, does it say? It was in 1993 and 94, so right before Voyager. Oh, my God. She was not one of the main characters. Well, she was one of the main... She wasn't, like, the main character. She wasn't the phenom. <laughs> right. 
Okay. Oh, that's funny. Random. She does a great job here. I I, I, I really enjoy uh, her acting. Her um, the joy that she's obviously getting out of using her powers. Not you know not, we didn't get to the scene. No, I'm not talking about the scene what, where she you know fire is the fire starter. But <laughs> but before that, you know when she's learning when she's learning with Tuvok in the beginning when mm-hmm. she's her fir- her first session with um. With so- Soval. I can't remember the guy's name, so I'm just going to call him all the <laughs> characters I know him. Tannis, yeah. Um, like, she, she, she's really doing a good job portraying, like, the joy she's getting out of expanding her potential. I, I really like her in this episode. I really like her acting in this episode. Yeah. I, sh- I should say. <laughs> For what it's worth, the only reason I can remember Tannis' name is because it's the same name as one of the characters in the Dragonlance novels. <laughs> There's always a connection. I love it. <laughs> Gary Graham ha- was not in the weird Dragonlance animated movie that they tried to turn into a series that did have Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland in it. I don't remember that one. It's like ten years ago. Was it? Yeah, they tried to make it. They made an animated movie of the first Dragonlance uh, novel, and it like no one even knew that they made it, and it made no money. Oh, gotcha. So after the uh, her second bout of making the water boil, um, one thing I did want to touch on though from the first time around though was was him telling her to uh, with the fire of your mind, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. bring the fire, yeah. Which made me think of that uh, that PBS auto tune of um, uh, Mister Rogers and the Gardens of Your Mind. Yeah, that was oh, that's yeah. what it got me too. You can do anything <laughs> in the garden of your mind. Garden of your mind. Yeah, I was just thinking that same I thing. I like that one. I think you were mixing the Bob Ross and uh, Mister Rogers auto tunes there a little bit. No, the garden of your mind. That's Mister Rogers. Well, you know, but the anything thing because that that came up a lot in the Bob Ross one. It did. Yes, I yes. You can do anything. I when have you paint. never seen the Bob Ross. One. The Bob Ross oh one's goodness. good. Uh, the Julia Child one I didn't care that much for, and I imagine they've probably done more since then. But I don't know. I I really like the uh, the Mister Rogers one, so I'll, I'll check out the Bob Ross one. That sounds interesting. <laughs> yeah, the Bob Ross is all right. Uh, it's weird that they go that he goes right to you know fire, like. If I was picture like if I was picturing the molecules of coffee or water or whatever it is that she's boiling, I, I wouldn't picture fire. I would just picture them moving faster, you know, like yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It was just confusing to me why it had to be fi- like why why is her power fire power like <laughs> is that particular to Kess or is that an Alcompan thing? I feel like the I I feel like the drawing of the molecules the graphic of the molecules was not like accurate to what would actually happen when you're boiling water. I don't think the water right, would actually right. turn orange. Right. There's not literally fire in hot water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, well. that, that, was, that was a little, a little weird, but I mean, it gets to the fire to the, you know, later fire scene, I guess. It's cold. Wouldn't it taste better if it were hot? Yeah. This is when Tannis starts to become kind of creepy. Yeah. Starts to. Well, <laughs> you know, he's laying on the creepy a little thick now. Yeah. 
But what else? So we um we can we can kind of jump ahead a little bit to when some kind of plasmatic field is forming in engineering. <laughs> yes. Oh, another kind of <laughs> so many because Asperia has arrived. She's kind of purple tentacled herself into engineering. Maybe that's why the worm the warp core changed color. They didn't want it Suspiria to blend in with it. No, that's a terrible idea. They could have made her a different color. That's if it true. Was pur- if the warp core is purple. They could have just made her green. Or, you know. That's true. <laughs> so is that her her true form? I guess. In our, so she turns in into it again facial. when she leaves. I'm guessing that's her real form. Otherwise, yeah. why would she do it? Uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it it looks similar enough to the caretaker's true form when he dissolves away. So it it's probably her form. Also, it's a. Uh, there's one point uh, before the Suspiria arrives. Back when um, when they get to the area of space where they're hailing Suspiria, uh, Tannis says that it will be that she'll be she'll respond within forty seven hours. There's a 47, yep. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Which is super specific and sort of strange that that's the... I mean, I, I realize in this case they wanted it for the... Because we, yeah. we needed time for Kes to boil Tuvok. But it... Yeah. I mean, it, I think he's kind of bullshit, too. There's that, too. You know, like, yeah. Because he could probably... I mean, he was obviously in contact with Suspiria earlier than that you know like yeah, they didn't need their, communi- their communication device to uh, contact her so i think he was just stalling so he'd have more time with Cass. Mm. so he just ran you know picked a far away <laughs> number it got super creepy at when after Cass boils tuvok when she talks to tanis and she's like so you heard about it? he's like no but i'm aware of it it's like yeah. Dude, that's so creepy. Yeah. He's monitoring. Yeah. Her telepathically. Ugh. He's so gross. I mean, you want to talk creepy though. Think about I mean, we already thought it was kind of weird that Neelix was dating a two year old. But <laughs> Yes. <laughs> when you've got the caretaker who's like preferred form as far as we know is this like eighty year old farmer. And then Suspiria comes across as, like, a six-year-old girl or something. And it's like, okay. Oh, that is kind of creepy. Yeah, that was weird. (laughs) Why wasn't she just Banjo Woman? Yeah. Also, why would Kess's attack on Tannis have hurt Suspiria? I wondered that myself. Yeah. Is she, like, using him as some sort of anchor for how she gets into this? Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Or, I mean, or maybe it's just, you know, she probably thinks of Tannis as her, her pet, you know? So maybe, mm. she, you know, maybe she wasn't, like, actually hurt, but emotionally hurt. You know, do you know what I mean? Maybe. I, I did like, at the end, when she does leave, uh, I liked that they used the same effect for her taking Tannis away as when the Caretaker transported the crew off Voyager back in Caretaker. That's a nice detail. Yeah, that that, that appears to be the uh, sporocystian method of teleportation. They have a name. It was mentioned in this episode. Nadar? 
That sounds no, vaguely it's right. close. It's close. It's an N. It is an N. Nasar? Nason? I can just keep guessing words. Nasin. Yeah, I was getting there. So they have a creed. When I hear sporocystian <laughs> energy, I I think of spore like mold spores. Gross. Like you know, that's just what pops into my head is you know for spores. <laughs> I'm wondering what the but it, you know I, I don't know why I don't know what where they actually got that word if they just made it up out of nowhere or if there's some kind of you know like we've mold spores and mushrooms and <laughs> discovery as is a common refrain uh on when i look into these things uh the nascene never show up again on the show but there is a novel <laughs> about them oh okay of course of course yeah so when when Cass attacks uh, Tannis, which conveniently kind of breaks Suspiria's concentration, Janeway gets up. She grabs the toxin ray, which I was confused about. Uh, <laughs> knocks Suspiria out. Tubok puts up a force field. They chat for another couple of seconds, and then Janeway's like, "Yeah, lower the force field. We're gonna let her go." Um, I mean, and that's. I mean, we're, we're pretty much at the end of the episode at this point. Like Tannis asked to be beamed out as well he does and we end largely as we began with Cass and Tuvok in Tuvok's quarters having a heart-to-heart and then also you know conducting another training session I did really like uh, Tuvok's line because Cass is talking about how she never wants to see that side of her again Mm -hmm. And, and you know and the darkness that she tapped into and Tuvok's reply of, Without the darkness, how would we recognize the light? Do not fear your negative thoughts. They are part of you. Yeah. Yeah, that whole little speech was 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 pretty nice by Tuvok. And Tuvok's reaction when she apo- was apologizing to him in, in sickbay was good, too. Yes. Yeah, what was it? Uh, you might be feeling remorse, or perhaps guilt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I like how it kind of, kind of, kind of shuts her down from mm-hmm. apologizing. Cause I know how that feels. I, I don't like it when people apologize to me either. You know, so like I kind of felt <laughs> with Tuvok there. I'm sorry, you don't like apologies, Jen. <laughs> no. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please don't apologize. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry. Even in jest. <laughs> okay. I need a, I need a Vulcan. See, I need I need to not show my emotions. I don't have a very good Vulcan side. I would be a terrible Vulcan. Did Did either of you have anything uh, like any final notes that you wanted to touch on in this episode? I I more or less, like we we more or less hit everything that I that I jotted down. We we got the forty seven hours, which is good. Yeah, we've talked about everything that I I jotted down. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, the, me too. The note that I was super excited to talk about was Young Lady Chatterley 2, and we already got that taken care of, so. <laughs> the one thing I did, I, I have a question about, was where what happened to all the other Akampa on the, are they still in the array? Like, is there still 2,000 Akampa there that she could be interacting with? Yeah, I presume yeah, she returned Tannis. Yeah. So Suspiria, is she going to come back to the array? Because those are her Probably. People. So, why, you know what I mean? Like, You'd think Voyager would try try again, you know, to <laughs> if she if they really think she could get them home. I don't know. 
They kind of just give up and move on and yeah, leave their combo behind. So that was a little strange. They got places to be. Yeah, set a course for the Alpha Quadrant. Second star on the right, and straight on till morning. Yeah. And why did Kess enjoy killing the plants? That That was was my other question. I I think that she more enjoyed, um, like, tapping into that side of her telekinetic abilities rather than the actual act of destroying the plants. Because, like, once she realized they were dead, she wasn't, like, distraught, but she was like, oh, they're all dead. Yeah, she was like, wow, I did that. I guess you're right. I guess it was more, like, impressed at at the power she had. (laughs) But she says at the end to Tuvok, you know, I... I'm afraid of the part of me that enjoyed killing those plants. <laughs> I thought that was just a weird, I don't know. She worked very hard in that aeroponics bay to make those plants grow. Yeah, but Tannis cheated and like made them grow like four times bigger like in a second. So I mean, she could have worked on that power. Yeah. Instead of five, five then maybe power. the aeroponics bay, if they grew that fast, the aeroponics bay might actually be enough to feed the whole crew. For real. Oh, yeah, that would be very useful. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I, I've covered more or less everything that I wanted to talk about. Okay, well, you know, I was trying to steer us around to next week's episode, Maneuvers, but I just couldn't nice. uh, think of a good way to do it. I see what you did there. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening this week. If you enjoyed this, you should also check out our other podcast, Stargate Weekly. You can find or review both on your podcast player of choice, and you can also reach us at our email address, deltaflyerpod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at Tyrannicus. You can find me on Twitter at Gamicus. You can find me uh, on Twitter at EatArtQuarks. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Delta Flyer Pod. And that's our show. Yeah, 